Hi, everyone. This is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Welcome back, everyone, to an all-new DC Power Hour. We've got a star-studded cast here lined up for you, and not one but two special guests are going to join us today on the podcast, uh, along with our fantastic Battery Blarney duo, who's back after a little bit of a hiatus, doing some traveling, some for fun, some for business, right, George? Always working. And uh, we've got our friend of the show, Ed Rafter, on with us, too, so... Welcome, Alan, George, and Ed. Uh, excited to get into this topic, another one that I know is near and dear to your hearts, and, and we're going to bring in a, another special guest later on, but the topic today is applying stationary battery training in the field. So let's get into it. George, how, how are you doing, and uh, how do you feel about today's topic? Well, obviously, I feel very strongly about today's topic because it's uh, it's one very near and dear to my heart. Is I've been doing it now for... Uh, seven years for Eagle Eye and um, trying to get the message over to not just the students themselves, but over to management about the importance of training is a little bit of a challenge. And it's not been helped by uh, COVID because uh, we now seem to be short of staffed at almost every level within these companies and trying to get them to release people to do training is, is not easy. But at the same time, uh, they have lost a lot of their uh, skilled people and they badly need the training in order to bring people up to speed because uh, the reliability of batteries is is probably a key, absolute key to everything that we do. It starts at the very point of production, having installed battery monitoring on an oil platform off the coast of Nigeria. I understand where that bit starts. And at every other point in generating power, to power to to create this electric um, environment that people want, there are batteries at every stage, and if they are not maintained, we are going to be in trouble. And maintenance requires training. Any comments, gentlemen? I agree with you, George. And uh, training's part of, been part of my career. Uh, An actual fact that uh, previous company had a glorious job job title of and um, I did a lot of training, as you know, George, uh, around the country for this company. It was a hard task getting through to some of the people, but uh, I, I did preach one thing, and uh, it seemed to get through. Don't forget, this was just for employees of the company. And before they did anything, I got them to kind of thinking, what would Alan do coming across a problem? or? see a problem with a battery or, or wondering how to proceed with something, I got them starting to think, what would Alan do? Unfortunately, that got a lot of phone calls, but uh, we had a 100% safety record. So uh, I'm going to let George and Ed do most of the talking here, as they probably closer to the cold face at the moment than I am. So with that, I'd like to bring in Ed. And I know Ed and George are Freshly back from a very hard working week in a wine country in California, but uh, they were at the latest uh, 
I tried to have to think to get it right, but the Energy Storage and Stationary Battery Committee. So, uh, Ed, maybe you'd like to give us a brief recap on that, on things that are developing that's going to influence uh, training. Thanks, Alan. So, one of the things I found to be really exciting is the only word I can think about is 1657 is coming up in its cycle for a review and editing. For the audience, that's the recommended practice for personnel qualifications for the installation, maintenance, and testing of stationary batteries. To date, well, let me go back. When this thing first was considered and, and a part was put out, I think everybody here jumped on it, and I thought it was a great starting place for that whole training conversation. Now we're at, on the verge of uh, new technologies, and it's my hope that this new uh, version of 1657 will incorporate some of these chemistries in there. So that was my number one was 1657. Another point to remind everyone is our lead acid batteries are alive and well. We're working on the documents again. 1688 is all about maintenance. Uh, and that has to do with the valve-regulated valve lead acid battery. And there was quite a bit of the session set aside for the lithium. And we have, have some guides coming out, which I think are going to be great tutorials towards helping people and those responsible for batteries understand it. So overall, I thought it was great. There was a lot. You had to pick and choose which ones you could sit in on. And um, again, the, the, the week went rather quickly, all things considered. So I don't know if that helps give a flavor for what last week was about. I was happy to see so many familiar faces. And George and I ran into each other a few times. And I hope you feel better, George. I'm starting to. There's a nice course of antibiotics and some good... Uh cough pills are definitely helping. But uh, I agree with everything you're saying, Ed, is that we have to, we have to start looking at uh, how we start teaching about these new technologies, because they are all slightly different. You, you were focusing on the lithium side of it. I've got myself involved on the alkaline battery, the, 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 the section on that now. And that is, it's becoming fascinating because there are so many chemistries involved there, all of which have totally different characteristics. And it's going to be a task for the manufacturers to explain to the customers, or the potential customers, why somebody should use their battery and not another one. You know, that's, uh, we, we have, we've had this habit of just treating all lead acid batteries as the same. Of whether or not we've known they're not, and we've we've uh, you know we've uh, what teaching people how to select the correct uh, lead acid battery for the application, but the variances within the alkaline batteries are much more. So it's going to be an interesting experience, and the people that we may have to teach are also going to change. I had a a comment or a request asked about the potential for. Um, doing courses that could be applicable to authorities with jurisdiction. Because when you start to try to apply some of the new technologies, 
under the rules and regulations, it's going to be a challenge because some of the authorities with the jurisdiction, in other words, the fire and building uh, inspectors, uh, it's, it's going to be much more difficult for them to understand the, the differences between a technology. Would you agree? I agree, George. And, uh, you know, we've always had problems with uh, authorities having jurisdiction. Uh, God bless them. There's some good folks. Uh, but we learned uh, early in our careers that the only answer to anything they asked us to do was uh, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Uh, because if you didn't, uh, you were going nowhere. But uh, it took us a long time to educate them on lead-acid batteries. There's still, prog- there's still things going on within the uh, NFPA to try and bring documents up to, up to date. But uh, from my perspective is, you know, you mentioned uh, that we need to educate various sections, but we also need to educate those that are making the purchasing decisions and those that are making the decisions to let out maintenance contracts, uh, those that are responsible for ordering uh, or specifying battery monitoring. You know, it's not just a guy with the uh, fire retardant suit and, and the goggles and the gloves who's at the uh, coalface, but it's also the people that are making these decisions, which very rarely is the guy who actually has to do the work or actually has to do the maintenance. So that's another aspect we may want, want to look at. But, you know, getting a lot of information in place and how do we get that through to the people actually doing the maintenance? It's one thing uh, teaching a course, and you do it very well, George, I know that. But how do we follow up? You know, what happens when they leave the classroom? So that's something we may talk to our next guest about, but we'll probably bring it in about five minutes. But I'd like Ed to comment on how do we follow up, Ed? I'll go back to 1657 and just to remind uh, and inform uh, those listening, the, the document was written with an understanding that you're not going to get it all quickly. It's very similar to, let's say, a journeyman electrician. When he comes on board or she comes on board, they're entry level. They're just learning the basics. And then they advance. The 1657 document was written the same way. So if you were looking at a process of how education should be uh, absorbed on a topic like this, you, you recognize that there's uh, technician levels that they'll have to uh, achieve and that with growth, they'll eventually become more and more uh, expert, subject matter expert. Who manages that? Who oversees it? I think that was one of our stumbling blocks before, and it probably will continue to be. But it is not just the face-to-face or even the virtual training. There needs to be some kind of a, a, a logbook, a record-keeping for people as they progress, because it's, it's what happens in the field that is really the proof of what we or the individuals have learned. And tracking that is, is, a, is our next challenge. We had thought about trying to do something electronically. It never got the traction that I hoped it would, but I think coming forward, uh, we're going to have to look at something like that, whether it's by each individual company or something 
more um, national or international. So you can check and see if a particular contractor has the certification or training. If any of you remember that, that was a big conversation back when we first wrote 1657. And I think we need to revisit this going forward. Uh, how do we track what people are doing in the field to see that they get it and that they're learning? That's, I think, a big part of it. The other thing I just want to throw out there, we keep talking about people who need the training. What about the people that are given the training? They are also a group that we need to be mindful of that is not here forever. And there, we need to have trained the trainer programs. George and I discussed that briefly the other day. We need train the trainer programs in addition to training the technicians who are out there in the field. The challenge we have with that, well, we've we discussed the challenges we had at great details, but the other challenge we have is that people, they're not geared towards long-term training programs. Everything wants to be done in one or two days. Although we are, you know, we are seeing demand now for people doing it at their own at their own rate, you know, the on-demand type training. But that also has to be coupled with uh, time with, a, with an instructor because not everybody understands exactly how the online training has been prepared or understands the detail about it. So there needs to be uh, the availability of one of the instructors has got to take a period of questions and answers. Now, as you start to do multiple type courses, you may end up with people that are in three different, for instance, if we were doing uh, uh, the battery technician training course correctly, we would have, we could have four different classes running at any one time, depending on the level of people. And you'd have to have an instructor that could simply sit in and do an hour Q&A, but they'd have to be able to answer every question within the four sections. And that's going to become harder and harder to find. Particularly the fourth one, which is the specialized knowledge, right? Yeah. Um, that's what I'm saying. Some of that experience and, and, and knowledge, it's not going to be there forever either. So I don't have an answer, but we need to face it as, as a reality. We need to do something. With it. I think it's just a, it's, it's a, I think we, as we said, we have to educate. It's not just the people doing the, the work that we have to educate, it's every person in the company. And um, it's got to apply to people that are selling, people that are uh, maintaining. The whole the whole management structure of the company has got to understand what we're trying to achieve. I will say that, you know, within Eagle Eye, we are working towards that. Our colleagues at the top have made it that education leads within the company. And uh, we are working towards it. But it's, it's, it's not an easy challenge. It's, it's hard work because there's every, you might be teaching the same subject, but it's got to be treated totally different depending on who you're talking to. That's the big challenge. But I think it's about time we brought our, uh, our friend from uh, Florida, Joey Davis, in to, to talk to us. Uh, just a quick intro, I'll do the quick introduction here that uh, Joey, in fact, was one of my pupils last year. He was actually, on the, the class that was my first class post-COVID. So um, I was probably a little bit rusty at the time. I'd got used to doing uh, online training 
And now all of a sudden now I had four very attentive gentlemen in the class and I had to keep my wits about me to uh, keep them occupied. All right. Sounds like we've got Joey uh, here via cell phone. So we'll, we'll try and get into it now again. Um, George, uh, as you mentioned, was able to train Joey fresh out of uh, COVID. And um, Joey, maybe if you want to just give us a brief overview on your, your background and how you came to take your training course with, with George and, and what you've been up to since then. Yeah, so um, my name is Joey Davis. I work with uh, Nick Barrett Energy, our Florida Power and Light. And uh, I've been here 31 years, roughly. And uh, we, I work out of a shop called the Line Equipment Service Center, and we rebuild all types of equipment on uh, the power lines and everything. So we uh, wound up acquiring the battery work, uh, I don't know, about two years ago. And so we needed some training, and we wound up getting referred to you guys in Wisconsin and uh, wound up coming up there. It was a great class. George was probably one of the most knowledgeable people we had met in the field. I know he, he probably smiling with that, got a big head when I say that. Good war storyteller, you know, but, uh, we had a blank canvas. We were, uh, we had absolutely no knowledge of batteries whatsoever. So, you know, everything we learned, we just kind of soaked up with him and, and turned out really well, you know. Right now I'm doing 20, I do 23 batteries across two plants and uh, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's good work. Sometimes it's really, really hot. And sometimes, you know, the air conditioner works and everything goes well in the rooms. But the, one of the biggest things that I found is to, uh, you have to be truthful with yourself and know what you don't know. You know what I'm saying? And when to ask for help and uh, get with somebody like George to just actually realize that you could be in a position to where maybe redundancy or just being too comfortable with things, you know. So it's it's interesting work, and we really appreciate all the help we can get from you guys. Joy, Joy you just touched on something there that I think is also something we, we probably need to discuss a little bit, is that uh, one of the things I found, when I, especially when I go out in the field and do training now, that not only are you there as a teacher, but you end up also being a consultant. Because uh, you, as part of the training, you get plied with questions about situations that the customer has. Yeah, that's right. And you help rectify them. And I think that's 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 probably going to be one of the challenges of getting continuing training going. That um, the instructors really have to also be versed in what happens in the field. And um, as you said, I'm a great. Uh, I, got a, a massive store of war stories to tell, but uh, they're, they're always there as an attempt to, shall we say, help you remember something. That, um, And I've been told by quite a few of the students is that uh, they'll often, if they, if they see something, they'll remember the story before they remember the facts behind it. But at least it gets them started in the right direction. But uh, what would you, would you agree with that sort of survey that it's almost, it's an ongoing, it should be an ongoing process. You can't simply come in and learn something in two days. It's really the start of the process. Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm always the one that says training should be like an ongoing process. You know, you can't go to one class and 
then think you can just walk out the field and, and know everything because if you start with zero experience and uh and knowledge as well it takes time to see things happen and learn things and all that you can't just you can't just walk in and go hey i went to a training class so i know it all now you know i i feel like you ought to have training as new technology shows up and every year have refreshers but training seems to always be tied to budgets and money and time to be able to do it and it, it never happens the way it should and, and that's i think that's in all industries and it, it seems like when you're able to have training it's always last minute because the company will have money left over at the end of the year and let's let's go have some training because we got to spend some money but it just never shakes out the way it should i don't feel like ask joey a question uh this is ed raster uh in light of the training you had when you go out in the field, are you looking at things a little bit differently than maybe you did before? Is the training helping you see some of those, you know, issues or gotchas? How would you say that the training works into that field experience and, and what you're seeing? Oh, absolutely. On that as well, the, um, so like when I first started doing badness, all I knew was, hey, that's a battery, and it's a time bomb, okay, and 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 it'll kill you. It's very very dangerous. So you know, going through the training that y'all offered, it was able to give me some knowledge as far as what to look for, give me some contacts with you guys on what I what I need to be asking questions about in the field because I I've called Eagle Eye several times, you know, and sent pictures of things and hey this is what's going on what do you think about it you know and even recently we we've done some specific gravity work and uh specific gravity meter that we bought from you guys we didn't really know how to operate it so i was able to talk to josh on the phone and him walk us through it you know it worked out really really well but we we also have the uh load bank that we bought from you guys as well and so I feel pretty confident that any questions we've had with it, that we would be able to call you guys and you walk us through it if we had any problems. But again, as, as time goes on, the more you learn, the more you see, and you, and you have to be able to capitalize on that with more training. You, you know, you can't just go to a training class and then not ever go to another one and be able to capitalize on the training that you had. I always try to talk to a subject matter expert in South Florida or even uh, some friends of mine that work at other companies as far as what they are seeing. You know, if, if they have a problem with a monitor or if I have a problem with a monitor, you have to lean on each other and, and know who's really, really good at it. And, and again, you, you have to be able to check yourself as well and go, hey, look, I don't really know what's going on here, but I know somebody that does. And through the past couple of years, I've made some good uh, contacts with people that work for battery companies, and I'm able to call them and say, hey, I've got a problem with a monitor. Can you help me out here as far as walk me through this software to get me to the point where I need? But at the end of the day, you always have to constantly train, I feel like. You know, I was talking to a guy at the shop earlier about the most training I ever had was when I was in the military, and it's because it was required training, you know, to, to reach certain ranks and all that. In today's world, it feels like you just go to a training class when you when you can or if the money's available and then you're stuck out in the field 
to do the work. And it's kind of like learning on your own a lot of times, you know. You make a very valid point there, Joey. Uh, this, this is Alan. I don't know you, but I hear good things about you. But first of all, thank you for your service, Joey. Thank you, sir. Next era energy. Uh, I, I, I go back to the uh, Florida Power and Light and Florida Power days. In actual fact, I, I gave several training courses to uh, to your company. Even when they changed over to Next Era, up in I believe it was Juno Beach in Florida. That's right. A guy called Frank Russo, who George and Ed we both know, uh, brought me in there. I don't. I don't. I think Frank's retired now, but uh, a lot of people, knowledgeable people, within not just your company, with other companies. I've retired, and that knowledge is no longer there. Coming in, probably like yourself, before you had some training, Joey, uh, the, the thing is, I've always wondered is, why do companies like yours, which is a pretty good company, why do they uh, not realize the fact that, hey, the guys doing the work need to be trained? I've always uh, thought, you know, maintenance was probably the most important thing uh, for any system, battery backup power system, uh, but it seems to be ignored. Uh, you know, from your perspective as an employee of a large company, can you shed any light on that? I think most, of, all of it's money driven. You know, whether it's tied to a budget or money that's available. Training has, I mean, has always taken. Not really a backseat, but it's, it's never been the tip of the spear. You know, where, like you would think at the beginning of the year, you would have training laid out and go, hey, we're going to have this training for these classes or this battery work or whatever. And it just, it's always easy to, I don't know, maybe to not do it if something comes up and you don't have the time. It just seems like it's always easy to, to not have the training class versus stepping up to the plate and go, hey, we're going to have this training no matter what. I feel like that we get trained, and the training that we have with you guys is really good. I just feel like that across the whole utility industry that the training just doesn't happen like it should or as often as it's good. You know, I was telling George when we was in our training class, you know, we were talking about batteries and all, and a lot of the training is is, is self-training self on your own. You go out there and you see a battery and you get familiar with a battery bank or whatever. And we were discussing, it's like when you get to a battery that it's like each one of those batteries has its own character. You know, you know what to expect when you walk into a battery room that this battery has been at a certain temperature or it has this issues or whatever. So you kind of know what to expect when you get there. So you learn that. The one thing that I, I, I told uh, some people here was the biggest thing that I see is that it, the, the work is so redundant and you do it so often that you have to be aware when you walk into a battery room or work on a battery that, hey, I know I've been here a thousand times and this is my thousandth and first time. The dangers are still here and, you, and the safety hazards are still there. So you have to just really be on top of it at all times and you can't just get comfortable you know what i'm saying i mean even if you're the smartest guy in the world on that stuff the dangers are always there that's very true indeed joy that's, that's a good point but uh your comment about the you get thrown at training 
something a couple of my students have mentioned to me in the past, quite recently, in fact, is about the uh, when a lot of the training for the craftsperson like yourself is based on how to do something. And quite That's often right. that training is actually done by somebody from the manufacturer of the equipment who has not necessarily got any experience in teaching. They can demonstrate how the equipment works, but quite often they have never actually been in the field and used it in real life. It's, it's one of those challenges, and it, it, the, the two tie together. I think the, probably the best way I find to explain it is, is that current training tends to be all based on how to do something, but then they don't understand, but nobody understands why they're doing it. Or what benefit is it to them as a person within the company to learn more about it? To me, there should be a, a structure within that learning that um, craftspeople, they need to have a promotion path as well. And I think that's where a lot of, if you hear some of the comments for people and why there was the great resignation was that a lot of people just did not see a future where they were working. They had no no idea of where they could be promoted or anything else. And uh, I think that should be all part of the training. I, I suppose, um, like Alan and, and, and Ed, we, we, we came out of an era where there were apprenticeships. And apprenticeships, you started and you worked your way through it. And uh, people could come in as an apprentice and end up as the CEO of the company. It happened many times. I just don't see that happening today that uh, people people have been set into a path way beyond or way earlier than they, they need to be as to what they're going to be doing for the rest of their life quite often. And then they end up doing something totally different and don't have the ability to carry on the learning in order to uh, go into that new job. Anybody, any, any comments on that? Well, you, you're certainly right, George. And uh, I'd like to bring uh, Ed into it here a little bit. Joey, uh, I don't know whether you guys uh, follow any of the IEEE standards or recommendations there, but Ed, uh, Ed Rafter here is, uh, was one of the driving forces behind a, an IEEE document, uh, which basically uh, outlined the levels of technician training and so IEEE 1657. And uh, I just wonder if you guys were, knew about that document or were aware of it and if you were uh, following those guidelines. So, Ed, if you'd like to just briefly explain what the document is, and then we'll get a response from Joey. Thank you, Alan. So the IEEE document was prepared understanding everything that you just spoke. Training is a process. In fact, education is a process, and it's really never-ending. So understanding that, the document that was prepared lays them out as tech levels, level one, level two, level three, and a level four for subject matter expert for those specialized applications. It was intended as a path that one can follow to not only understand the, the subject matter, uh, but actually to grow within that industry because Again, we rely so heavily on batteries. We need to recognize those people who are experts and and elevate them to positions where they can then give back, take on, and train. 
So um, again, we covered, I don't have a copy in front of me, so I'm speaking cold here, but we covered what a level one technician we need to know, that's entry level. Level two would be, uh, let's say, um, more knowledge, intermediate, if you will, and level three would be advanced knowledge. It We even put in there some speculation as to how much time in a level you would need, recognizing that we need time in the field to actually see these things, practice these things, and be able to demonstrate to a mentor or supervisor that we get it. Uh, that all needed to be, that needs to be accomplished before you can move on. So if, w- without getting into the weeds here, it is a path and it is a path that doesn't happen in six months, a year. It takes years for some of this to transpire. And uh, some individuals are just much quicker learners than others, have more opportunity than others. And the 1657 document uh, outlines that path. I guess my question was that uh, for Joey was, uh, we're slowly running out of time here. Are you familiar with this document, uh, Joey? Not exactly. I feel like, you know, we do everything that's required by by the industry. I think we do a bunch of NERC testing and things like that, but I haven't sat and reviewed any documents that spells everything out. It's not just the how, but why you do it. You're going to remember that more if you understand why you're doing it than the mechanics of how you're doing it. Because in the, the knowledge of why, you're going to remember and see things that in the how, uh, you might jump over a skip. So um, it's really a great document. Uh, I'm biased here, but it spells it out. And if you could get a copy, it'll kind of point out things here that you might not even appreciate is foundational to my knowledge. So some of it requires uh, being able to read tables. Some of it requires doing some simple, uh, I think, simple calculations. but those all help to reinforce that knowledge base. I listened to one of y'all's podcasts here a while back where we were talking about how a lot of the technicians out there, what they do is they're just uh, data gatherers, and they take that data and they'll send it to SME or whoever they're reporting to. And I think a lot of that goes on through the whole industry is you just have the whole you know, the, the person goes out and gets the data and don't really know the whole understanding of what's going on. And they just pump that data into an email and give it to someone else. And they're basically relying on that person to tell them if there's a problem or not, where that person should be able to look at that data as well and go, hey, I've got a question or there is a problem. What can we do here before it ever goes to a subject matter expert? You're 100% right, Joey. That's one of the, the things that I think both Ed and I are preaching at the present moment is this, this idea of you, cannot, you, don't, you only need to be taught how to do something, not the why. And the, Whereas it might, it might work in some of the pieces of equipment, but on a battery, that is just simply does not work because so much of what you're doing when you're looking at the battery is taking all the things, the, all the information you're gathering, you're, 
your eyes, your nose, what you're smelling, uh, what you're seeing, the readings you're taking, all of it, all of it ties together to give you a picture. And that's uh, that's the key to understanding it. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like you're cheating yourself if you know everything about what you're doing. Companies are cheating people as well by not not having that level of education. They're cheating themselves because they're, they're, uh, they're not building that core staff that in the past have been the basis for successful organizations. All right, guys. So as we sort of close out the, the episode here, let's just go around the horn and let's get everyone to maybe give one suggestion or one solution that they think can contribute to how, how we can overcome this lack of training in the field. And I guess, Joey, we'll start with you. Um, you talked a little bit about making it a, a priority. Um, I guess if there's, if there's one thing you think that could really make a difference and improve this level of training, uh, what would it be? Well, I think individually you probably should go out on your own. If you can't get the training, you know, that you need, like going to class or whatever, there's nothing wrong with spending time with somebody that does the same job you do, you know, whether it's a, an electrical engineer that, that is your subject matter expert or just maybe, you know, just if, if you see a technician from one of the battery companies, which is what I've done in the past, is I would see one of the techs that would install the batteries or whatever, I would go over there and spend a day with them and try to soak up all I could just to make sure that I was aware of what was going on to where if I ever had an issue, I could either call those people or I could identify any problems that was there that I may not have noticed had I not spent a day with them. Yeah, absolutely. Great idea. Taking a onus on, on themselves is probably a great idea for all of us that, uh, that we could all follow and, George, what do you think about that idea? Knowledge comes from uh, many different directions. And uh, Joey's right. You, you know, you go and pick up the information you can from the, the person that's doing it. And hopefully they're the ones that actually know what to do. That's probably one of the, the, at least it can be done. For me, the key thing is that we need to get people uh, more interested in it. You know, I, I, the way I look at it is that uh, by the time I finished a class, if I've even got one or two people there that now are going, I wonder why this is, or I wonder why that is, and are more interested in going uh, and, and looking at something in depth. You know, one of the online classes I did uh, a, a, few, a couple of months ago now was I, I do a whole session on uh, visual inspection. And um, it's then re-emphasized when, we're, when they're at the practical class, uh, they do a practical class, but one of the students there actually sent us some pictures of a battery that was in a terrible state. But as he said, unless he'd done the course, he wouldn't have known what he was looking at. So that, you know, I felt at least we, we, we pointed them in the right direction with that one. So it's, it's that type of thing. But uh, getting, getting people to understand and getting people interested in batteries is probably one of the biggest challenges because it's, it's just not perceived as being a subject of interest. Now, I, I, I quite often am told is that people attend my virtual two-day class and question what they could possibly learn in two days. You know, everything else they know about batteries, they learned in 15 minutes. How am I going to talk for two days on batteries? And most of them at the end of it admit that I was able to talk for two days on batteries. Any comments on that one, Alan? Well, you could talk for more than two days on batteries, George. You know, Joey... Uh... 
you're the exception rather than the rule here uh, when you're interested enough in your job to go and find out a little bit more about uh, what you're working on. But as far as getting through to companies about the importance of maintenance and training and monitoring, it's difficult because, you know, the financial engineers at the top don't understand it. But one good thing is happening recently that not a lot of people are aware of is that insurance companies, probably led by some of the larger ones like Factory Mutual, are starting to look hard at the industry because there have been accidents, a lot precipitated by some of the newer battery technologies, but there have been accidents that people have been hurt. There's been downtime. Uh, Ed, probably if we had more time, could talk a lot, little bit about the cost of down, downtime in the uh, IT industry. But uh, when the insurance companies start demanding things, I think one of the demand, things they're going to demand is that people or certain people who are responsible for certain maintenance act, actions are certified. Uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll see this. So it's the money people driving the money people. You know, the uh, insurance companies, they've probably suffered a lot of losses. And, you know, one of the ways to combat that is to, it's just like a, your home or your motor vehicle, is to make sure that the people are responsible. So uh, we'll, we'll let Ed have the closing remark here. Thanks, Alan. So I think Joey uh, nailed it about, you need to be a sponge when you're out there. And particularly when you're working with somebody who might have a little bit more time on it. Soak up everything you can. The other thing I recommended, it's a bit old school, but I still think it has its place. You should carry a little notepad or something around with you. So if you see something that you question, you don't understand, make a note and then follow up. Either ultimately you'll have some uh, uh, literature in a library where you can do some uh, research yourself, but there hopefully will always be a, a George and Alan or an Ed around that if you have any questions, reach out. Speaking for myself, that's been my way since the very beginning. We talked about these batteries. I learned early on, they're the heart of all our mission critical systems. There's others that have tried to take the place of batteries, whether they be flywheel or fuel cells, Batteries are still the foundational uh, heart of your mission-critical systems. So that in itself should, should highlight the importance of it. Um, so I would say keep doing what you're doing, Joey. And if, if you can share that enthusiasm, that passion is what I've been accused of with others. That's what gets their attention when they see well, Joey seems to know his stuff here, and he's, he's pointing out things maybe we didn't know before. People pay attention. And like I said, it's not an overnight. It just takes years. And none of us are experts. We're always learning. Right now, we are at that point where Curtis and myself and, and George will be sitting in on some of these meetings and literally, we are sponges soaking up what is being delivered because that's in the future. So it never ends. The training never ends. 
I'll just add one thing to that there, if I may, David, is that, as you're exactly right, we never stop learning. I probably learned so much about batteries as I've been putting these virtual courses together is because I find myself in a position, I think Ed will understand this, is that there are certain things that we simply take for granted in the industry, things that we have been taught over the years that that's the way it is and that's it. And I try to put myself in the position of the student and say, well, can you explain why? And it's amazing how difficult it sometimes becomes trying to find out why we have believed this for so long. You can normally, normally find it, but that's, that's part of my ongoing education process as an instructor, is learning all the a lot more intimate details on things that may not be fully required by every student, but I feel that I should be in a position that if a student asks me a question at that level, I should be able to answer it. And that's just, that's the way I feel about it. So, but education is just an ongoing process. Excellent. Thanks, you guys. And, and thanks, Joey, for taking time out of your busy schedule. I'm glad we finally got this scheduled. And uh, Ed, as always, thank you for joining us. Um, it's a privilege having you on the show. George and Alan, once again, thanks for joining us. And uh, look for more from from George and in Eagle Eye. We are working on building out that curriculum based on 1657 standards that that Ed has mentioned and uh, will continue to do so. And we do have an article that Alan and George and Ed all contributed to about this very topic coming out shortly. So definitely a, an important topic as we continue our, our quest here in DC power industry. So thanks again, everyone, for a great episode. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.